0: It's good to be with you this evening. Please turn your Bibles to Joshua 1. And our character for this evening in the first lecture is John Knox. John Knox has a number of character traits that come from his life, but we're going to focus on his courage. It seems as though that is the character trait that rises to the top when we learn about the life of this great scottish reformer but before we turn to his life let's turn to the most important book of all and that is the word of god Joshua 1 <clears throat> and allow me to read verse 9 We're going to find the word courageous, it's found four times in the book of Joshua, in verse 6, 7, 9, and 18, more than any other chapter in all of the Bible. It says this, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, let's start learning about the life of John Knox. John Knox was born to a farming family in Scotland around 1451 and was converted sometime in his twenties, I've mentioned this before, but it's just amazed me of how late the majority of these church heroes have been converted. Uh, Hearing them come to Christ as children is rare. One of the items uh, I was going to cover today was going to be Hugh Latimer, and uh, he actually was not converted until he was about 40 years old. Well, here we have John Knox. He was converted sometime in his 20s. We're going to learn about John Hooper. It was even later. Though little is known of his early days, he later became a Scottish reformer known for his bravery and fearlessness. He once said, One man with God is always the majority. That means if the whole world is against you, but you stand with God and God stands with you, it's the majority. Who does that remind you of in church history? Luther Luther or against the world? Contramundum. Who is that? Yes, sir. Athanasius. That's right. Well, Athanasius was hundreds of years before John Knox, who said, One man with God is always the majority. Calvin called John Knox God's firebrand. And I'd like to look at four areas that we see courage in the life of John Knox. First, Knox was bold amidst persecution. So before we get to Knox, we have to back up just a little bit and talk about another man named George Wishart. George Wishart was the most well-known gospel evangelist in Scotland during Knox's early days. And there was a Catholic archbishop and his name was David Beaton, how ironic. He would eventually be beaten and killed, but his name was Beaton, David Beaton, Catholic Archbishop, and he had executed several Protestant Christians, and twice he tried to kill George Wishart. Well, after the second failed attempt of killing Wishart, Knox says, enough of that. I'm going to be your bodyguard. And so Knox starts protecting George Wishart. And what does he use? He uses a, a huge sword that he can. A sword, and not just any sword, this is a double handed, two handed broadsword. And you can see photos of this. And Mr. Jake and I contemplated having a PowerPoint today, but I couldn't get my hands on a projector. But there are pictures, if you Google George Wishart, you'll see photos of Knox and Wishart, and here you'll see Knox with a huge double-handed broadsword lying on his shoulder. Well, he, he protected Wishart for about five weeks. And at the end of that time, Wishart knew that it was pointless to keep running, and so he comes to Knox and he says, Knox, you have some students back home, go home, and he said to him, one is sufficient for a sacrifice. In other words, only one of us needs to die. Hours after Knox left the side of Wishart, Wishart was captured, tried, strangled, and burned as a heretic. Knox now... Uh, was greatly affected by the death of this godly man. Wishard's death shook Knox and placed within him the first flames to preach the gospel of Christ. We can already see, even in Knox's early days, there was courage in him and courage amidst persecution. This man's on the run. I'm going to protect him. Second, let's look at a second example of courage in the life of Knox. He was bold and courageous in doctrine, not just in persecution, but in doctrine. So, weeks after Wishart was killed, there's a gang of men, and they uh, decide to storm a city, a castle in the city of St. Andrews. And this gang of men comes upon the city, and there they capture... David Beaton, the Catholic Archbishop, I just mentioned previously, and they kill him, and then they hang his body from the window. Well, Knox had no part of this, but he hears what 's going on, and he decides to enter into the castle and he begins preaching to the people, and they call for him to preach to him to them and at first he doesn't want to and he's moved to tears and suddenly he decides to start preaching to the people. They're ex- uh, the people inside the city are expecting that they're going to get help from the outside to win the day. They don't win the day. A year later, a f- the French send a fleet of ships to retake the city and all the rebels inside are captured and punished, including Knox. Now, in those days, as is today, the worst punishment you could get would be execution. But the second worst punishment that you could get besides execution was gall- the galleys. That's right. The galleys. And that's what was given to Knox, a life sentence on the French galley ships, the most severe punishment besides execution. Now, these were large ships that moved in the water, and in those days, you didn't have fuel moving these ships, and you didn't have coal moving these ships. The ships moved in one of two ways. Either it was by the wind in the sails, or... The fuel was the sweat of slaves that were rowing down below. Picture this. One hundred and fifty men sat below. Six to an oar. Twenty-five oars in all, about 15 meters long. To give you an idea, that's about the length of our church building. So imagine the length inside our church building from one end to the other. That's about 15 meters long. That's how long the oars were. You had six men per oar. They're chained to the oars so that they could not escape. And they were whipped if they didn't pull their weight. And they said, oh, by the way, Knox, you're going to be here for the rest of your life. Day after day in misery, the men... Road. And Knox, now in his mid-30s, called it torment. Sometimes the ships would go near the coast of Scotland, and they could see through the windows the, the steeples of the chapel. And Knox said, I cannot believe that the Lord will let me die here. One day I will preach again. In those churches. On one occasion when the Catholic Mass was held below with the slaves. A picture of the Virgin Mary was passed around for the slaves to kiss. All around to the different oarsmen. But when it came to Knox it was thrust in his face and he refused to kiss it. Again, they took it and pushed it in his face and said, kiss it. And when it was thrust in his face again, he grabbed it and threw it overboard and said, let her swim. In other words, the Virgin Mary, if she wants to swim, let her swim. And he throws her overboard into the water. And that's the last time they tried to interact with this crazy man on the ship. After 18 months... Suddenly, John Knox was released probably because of the influence of King Edward VI. Knox was bold in doctrine. He had deep beliefs that he would not change. Third, Knox was bold before kings. He was bold before kings. He did not hide the truth before those that disagreed or had the power to kill him. He didn't say, well, I'm going to change my message if I'm speaking to someone with authority. After his release from the galleys, Knox enjoyed several years of peaceful preaching. And often it was before that good boy king, King Edward VI. He continued to thunder volcanic sermons against the church in Rome, calling the mass An abomination. He didn't just say, Well, I'm not in agreement with homosexuality equivalent today. He says, No, the Mass is an abomination. He called all Catholics infidels. But then Edward VI suddenly died at age 16, and his half sister, Bloody Mary, takes the throne. She was a Catholic. She was an enemy of Protestant Christianity, but that did not intimidate Knox. He was not at all intimidated by the queen. In fact, he called Bloody Mary the wicked English Jezebel. Soon thereafter, he wrote his notorious book opposing women rulers. And this is what he entitled it, The First Blast of the Trumpet. Against the monstrous regiment of women. (laughs) I'll read that again. The first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women. Now, you got some old English in there. So let me explain. Regiment simply means rule. Okay. And monstrous means terrible. So the first blast of the trumpet against the terrible rule of women. And Knox in this book is arguing and he believed firmly that only men and not women should lawfully rule a nation. And since there were two Catholic queens on the throne, Bloody Mary in England and Mary Queen of Scots in Scotland, made sense. But the publication... At least, according to most people's views, was ill timed. Because right after it was published, Queen Mary in England dies. And who comes to the throne? Good Queen Bess. Yes, Queen Elizabeth takes the throne. And because she was a friend of Christianity, many people withdrew from Knox right here they withdrew and they separated from Knox they distanced themselves from him he said quote my first blast has blown from me all my friends in england well elsewhere in his writings he used the rebellion against the evil queen athaliah in 2nd kings 11 to argue that christians can fight against unjust rulers. Well, Mary, Queen of Scots, was was wicked too. In fact, she was just as wicked as Bloody Mary, although her wickedness took a different form. Very interesting, the life of Mary, Queen of Scots. While she was married, she had a child with another man, and then supposedly conspired To have her husband killed, and not just killed in any way, but blown up with explosives. Well, when Knox stood before Queen Mary and her new boyfriend, now she has a new boyfriend, whose name was the Earl of Bothwell. He stands before them now. What's he going to say? This is like John the Baptist now. He's in jail, and he's calling out the sins of his captors. This is John Knox. He charges them with murder, adultery, and rape. Mary later said, this is Mary, Queen of Scots, while trembling and and, in tears. And by the way, the trembling and the tears was not because of repentance. Uh, The tears were not out of conviction. It was out of anger. She just loathed John Knox. She said this, I am more afraid of the prayers of John Knox than an army of 10,000. <clears throat> the powerful preaching of Knox forced people to decide with whom they would stand. Finally, Knox was courageous in serving Jesus. For many years, he left the comforts and familiarity of his native Scotland and pastored churches in Frankfurt, Germany, and Geneva, Switzerland. I don't think some of you really appreciate the steps of sacrifice that your pastor and missionary has taken to come to the other side of the world. Just think of the comfort that comes from your own language. How many of you are not even willing to speak a language right across the street from you? How often do I greet a venda? You cannot even greet in Tsonga? When I speak to Tsongas, they tell me dogmatically that vendas are not willing to speak to them in Tsonga. So they have to speak in venda to them. And you know what? When I speak to vendas, what do you think they say? Oh, those Tsongas. Oh, they're so... They think they're better than everyone. They won't speak venda. Well, I happen to side with the side of the Tsongas, actually. I think the Tsongas are more willing. But the point is, how many of us... Are not even willing to get out of our comfort zone. We won't even even share the gospel with our neighbors, with our family and friends. How many of you have a have a conviction every time your pastor goes on evangelism that you say, "Why is he doing this after this many years when we should be doing this ourselves?" Knox was courageous. Because he left the comforts, the family, the cultural comfort of Scotland. And instead, he pastored churches in Frankfurt, Germany, and Geneva, Switzerland. I don't think that's a small thing. While he was there, he met John Kelvin. He met Heinrich Bullinger in Geneva. He called the city of Geneva the most perfect school of Christ that ever was on earth since the days of the apostles. He helped in producing the Geneva Bible, a new Bible translation in English. And he longed to see the scripture change Scotland in every way. Knox said that he wanted a school in every district, a college in every town, a university, in every city. He wanted to help the poor wherever he could. He helped pull Scotland away from the idolatry of the Mass and toward a reverence of the Bible. He transformed Scotland, especially during a time when it could have gone either way. He's going to go to Rome... Is it going to go to the Protestants? Are they going to accept transubstantiation? Are they going to establish the mass? He transformed his country. And now is often referred to as simply the reformer of Scotland. He once famously cried out, give me Scotland or I die. Well, Knox died on 9 November 1572, at the end, he called for someone to read the 17th chapter of John. In verse 4 of John 17, Jesus says to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Well, that was a fitting passage to read because John Knox, too, had finished the race that the Almighty had given him to run. His gravestone. Reads with these words: "Here lies a man who never flattered, nor feared any flesh." It's John Knox. Well, let's turn to our, in our Bibles to Joshua one. We read verse nine, and this passage answers. Three questions about courage. Let me give these three questions about courage that this passage will help us with. First of all, why does Joshua even need courage? What's going on in this passage? Why does he need courage? Let me give you four reasons why Joshua needs courage. The first reason he needs courage is because he's alone. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Do some of you remember the first day you were left alone by your parents? Or maybe the first day you went to college and they drove away that feeling? Joshua needs courage because his leader, his mentor, Moses is gone. It takes place right after the death of Moses, according to verse 1. Well, Paul knew what it was like to be alone. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16 says this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me takes courage when you're alone it takes courage when you're the only believer at work it takes courage when you're the only believer at your school it takes courage when you're the only believer in your own home you might even be the only believer in your own marriage you feel alone it takes courage. <clears throat> Psalm 55. The a great passage of the intense fear that David felt when he was alone. Let me give a second reason of why courage is needed. It was needed by Joshua because he had to act. In other words, he couldn't just sit there and think about it. He actually had to do something. He couldn't sit around and mope that Moses was gone. He had to get busy. Hey, there's a problem here. I don't want to fix the problem, but I have to fix the problem. The Lord said, go over to the other side of the Jordan, verse 2. And being courageous means often, especially you young men, getting up and doing something. You might be frightened. Joshua, no doubt, was frightened. God is giving him a job. Your leader's gone, and now you have to do it. Third reason why courage is needed. Courage is needed because time was short. Verse 2 says, do you see that word now? Now. You know, people often cover their fear with procrastination. They're fearful to do something. They don't have courage. The way they avoid it is simply by procrastinating. (laughs) Like in Matthew 8, 21. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Fearful, following Christ. Let me just delay it. Let me procrastinate. Felix was willing to hear Paul preach only when he could quote get an opportunity. Acts twenty four twenty five. Instead, Joshua was to be brave now. The Bible says in Second Corinthians six two, today is the day of salvation. Fourth, fourth reason why courage was needed by Joshua. Courage is needed because others are involved. That means it wasn't just Joshua that he had to take care of. It wasn't just Joshua he had to worry about. Others were depending on him. God said in verse 2, You and all the people. We live in a society today here in South Africa... Of a lot of wimpy men. Without courage. And one of the reasons I know that. Is because there's so many single men. When you know that there are other people depending on you. When the man is not just on his own. Now he has his own wife. And children. And a job. And a car payment. And a house payment. And now all these other responsibilities in the mix. Then, courage is needed. And that's why men say, man, I'm afraid I'm going to leave the girl. I'm afraid I'm going to leave the marriage. I'm afraid I'm 30 and I'm still going to live at home. Because it takes courage to have added responsibility of people behind you that you have to take care of. That was the case with Joshua. Well, the second question is this. Where does courage come from? Courage comes from God's presence, according to verses 5 and 6. God says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Verse 9 says the, almost the exact same thing. By the way, when it says God is with you, I'll be with you, it doesn't just mean God is with you. God says, I'm here. God is everywhere, right? Psalm 139, God is everywhere. I think it means more than that. I think His favor is there. And when Christians live righteously and walk in the Spirit, there is a kind of courage that they have with them. That's why John Knox was so courageous, because he was walking in the Spirit. When you start having unconfessed sin in your life, you're going to find that your courage starts to wane. You know that you're being a hypocrite if you call out sin because you have sin in your own life. What does Proverbs 28.1 say? The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Well, the result of that courage will be obedience to God's word. That's in verse 7. All right, well, Joshua 1, nine sounds very much like Jesus' words in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, Matthew 28.20. Jesus' presence gives us courage. Okay.